Welcome to The Lila Joe Show. I explore the journey to excellence, which starts with the pursuit of passion. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back. I am so excited to announce the third guest on the show, who is the one, the only, Liz Earle. You may know Liz from one of her numerous ventures. She has her own magazine. She's published 36 books. You may know her from her beauty company, which she sold in 2010. She is a TV presenter. She has a podcast. She has a charity. She has an ethically sourced botanical fair trade jewelry line. She has done everything and she has excelled at everything, which is why I was so excited to have her on the show. She had me over to her beautiful studio in Battersea, London, which by the way is the definition of Pinterest goals. It was absolutely stunning. And I'm definitely taking notes on what I want my future house and studio to look like. We had the most incredible chat and I learned about how she has been so successful in everything that she's done. Some of the risks that she's had to take along the way in order to accomplish so much. We talked about her amazing lifestyle and well-being. And if you stay tuned till the very end, you will hear about how to host a killer dinner party, literal style. So... Thank you so much for listening, and let's get into the interview. Liz, welcome to the show. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, because I'm a competitive athlete, I've decided to structure my interviews like the workouts that I do every single day. So we start off with the warm-up, then move on into a longer period of higher intensity questioning. Oh my goodness. Before the cool down to finish, but nothing too crazy, okay. don't worry. When do I get to stretch? <laughs> well, whenever you want. So, warm-up. Mountain air or beach breeze? Mm, I like both, but I go mountain air. Sweet or savory? Oh, again, both, but if I had to choose, I think savory. Salty snack. Nice. Face mask or foot mask? Oh, foot mask. I've never I, done a foot mask before. Well, when I say foot mask, probably reflexology is one of my favorite treatments. Wow. So I think that would that would count, wouldn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Coffee or tea? Mm, both. These are really tricky. I know. Sorry, I, not much okay. of a good Okay, um, I'll tell you, it has to be tea because I did a, a, a sponsored um, detox. It was like a detox. It was, it was for a water charity and you were only allowed to drink water for the whole week. Wow. And I, at the time I thought, oh, that's fine. I can do that. You know, I don't mind giving up, you know, alcohol or tea or coffee or whatever. But the one thing I craved at the end of that week was a really good cup of English tea. So I guess it has to be so tea. So tea it is. <laughs> What is the last thing that made you laugh? Oh, so many things. I had lunch with my brother today, actually, and he makes me laugh. Just silly childhood things. I think that sibling connection. Definitely. Uh, it was just I got just some, you know, silly, funny face, you know, but yeah. it's, he cracks me up. <laughs> and what is your guilty pleasure? Um, I love dark chocolate, but actually I think it has lots of iron and magnesium and good vitamins, not mi- vitamins, but minerals in it. Um, so it's not so guilty, but it's definitely a pleasure. Yeah. Now, moving on to the workout, the main workout. So with all of my guests, I like to start from the beginning. So I'd love to talk about your childhood. Where did you grow up? My father was in the Navy, so we grew up in lots of places, but it was always near the sea. So Portsmouth, Plymouth, Chatham, Malta, Gibraltar, those great bastions of of British naval activity. Yes. So that that was my background, moving around a lot as a child. 
And what was your childhood like? It was very settled, actually, for somebody who moved around a lot. You know, I think we're a very tight family. I have one younger brother. Um, my father was big into gardening, so wherever we lived, he would always have a vegetable patch. And whenever he came back, he would always want to be out in the veggies. And that's where I would connect and spend most of my time with him, actually. I think that's where yeah, I developed a, a passion for plants and growing things and you know, seasonal vegetables really probably comes from him. And who was your role model as a child? I don't know that I had one particularly. My mother is um, quite inspirational. She does a lot of charity work. She worked for um, the Women's Royal Voluntary Service um, as we were growing up. And I think I, I always saw her giving back and putting back into society. And I think she was probably a big influence on me. That's wonderful. So looking back at your career and where you are now, what is the passion that has driven this journey? Do you know, I love making things easier for people. I love debunking myths and explaining, communicating. The one thing I think that's gone through all my different jobs and, and brands has been the passion to have good quality ingredients, whatever they are, whether we're talking about skincare ingredients for a beauty company or the ingredients in a book, which would be the research and the writing yeah. or in a magazine, um, or I have a fair trade jewellery line and the ingredients of fair trade gold. So so that is the, that is the heart of everything I do is to have really good quality um, products that are loved by people. You know, I, I I want to make a difference and I want to bring people things, whether that's a product or a book or a magazine or a podcast or whatever it is, something that actually makes a difference and enriches somebody's life by experiencing it so they feel better for me having been there. And it's amazing that there's so many avenues to do so. Especially like now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I've only started my podcast relatively recently because all you bright young things are doing it. And it's the way to connect. And I love it because it's very real. It is. You get the authentic voice of genuine brand founders exactly. talking about their passions, which is really rare to, to hear that. And of course, now we can go globally and listen to whoever we want to. Yeah, I love podcasts so much. And when did you know that this was your passion? Was there a eureka moment? I think I, I started my working life in women's magazines, so 35 years ago. And for me, I had very bad skin at the time. I'd always had a problem with eczema growing up. And somebody said, oh, you need to go and interview this nutritionist. And I thought, well, that's fine. But, you know, what can a nutritionist tell me about skin? Because I hadn't yet made the connection that we are what we eat. Yes. And it's what goes in as well as what goes on that's so important. And so that was a revelatory moment for me to realise that actually how we live and what we choose to eat and feed ourselves has a profound effect on how we look and feel. So I guess that was that was a eureka moment and I, I wrote my first book shortly after, which was Vital Oils. And that was all about good oils and fats in the diet yes. because, I mean, you are way, way too young, obviously, to remember any of this. Um, but at the time fat was seen as the big demon in our diet and nobody was talking much about sugar like they are now and everyone was talking about low fat being the best thing and of course now we know that it's not the best thing and if you go low fat or no fat your skin can fall apart yeah. and you can have a lot of health issues so I wrote a book called Vital Oils which was all about having good quality oils and fats which are vital for us yes. Yes. Uh, and that really came as a result of that conversation. As you said you started out in beauty journalism how mm. did you get into this? Um, I worked as a house model for a hair company when I was at college just to earn some extra money and one day I picked up the phone in the press office to a journalist who was asking questions about the brand 
And again, it was another kind of light bulb moment. I just realised that I wanted to be that person at the other end of the phone asking the questions. And so because I was working in that world in London, um, I just knocked on lots of doors saying, you know, hey, can I come and work as a junior in your beauty team? And eventually I found somebody who took me on and I had a great group of editors who mentored me, encouraged me to write. I started writing small little paragraphs for the magazine that grew into features. I love my writing, love my research. And then from features, I went into writing full length books. And speaking of books, you've written close to 35, is that right? Yeah, my 36 that she was 36. published, um, just published The Good Menopause Guide, yes. So, which is kind of where I am in my life. I've always written books that relate to me, so Vital Oils was my first book, and that was very much about sorting out my own skin issues with eczema and having not enough of the right fats in my diet. Yes. And through the years, I've written books on skin and healthy pregnancy, and I have five kids, I've kind of been through all of that, yeah. and, and now, and I've written a book about gut health last year, yes. which was everything, everyone's talking about gut health and probiotics and our microbiome which mm-hmm. is so important and now looking at hormonal health in, in middle age which again is an undiscussed topic for many women in later life. And when putting out a new book and of course you have your wonderful magazine Liz or Wellbeing what's it like putting out a new product and not knowing what the response will be? Could you just talk me through the experience and terrifying. what expectations you have? <laughs> it is terrifying because as a brand founder, especially when you're starting small, and all brands, you have to remember, even the big ones start small. You know, you, yes. it's very, very rare just to go out with a huge um, hurrah. You know, you're normally starting small and building it from that. So it's your own money, it's your own passion, it's your yes. own time, it's your own risk. So it's really nerve-wracking, no matter what you're doing, you know, whether it's a new beauty product or a book or, or whatever, or, you know, a pair of jeans. You know, I think anybody, any brand yes. founder goes through that same sense of anticipation and, and fear and hope and expectation. And for me, I remember the, the first time I went into an independent newsagent and saw my magazine right in the centre of the shelf, you know, just kind of staring out at me next to all these great big, you know, iconic magazines beside it. I thought, gosh, this is real, you know, I've I've really done it. Having started my life in magazines to now go back and actually be on the cover of one and have my own is is an amazing kind of pinch me moment. Yeah, I bet. And it's come full circle, which is incredible and probably very reassuring to know that you're you're back where you began in, in terms of what industry you're in. Yeah. Um, and the passion has stayed true all this time. You're absolutely right in, in saying that it's spot on. I feel like I've come home and I feel like I'm doing what I have always been meant to do and what has really driven me. Um, and I hope I can continue doing it. And I think, you know, people have often said, oh, print is dead and everything's going online and digital. But I think there's a real sense of reality when you pick up something that's printed. Yes. You know, we know there's so much fake news and false information and manipulation that goes online. And you never quite know who to believe or what to believe. And pages get amended and put up and taken Mm. down you can't do that with a magazine or a book you know what you write is goes in print and it's there forever yes and you can't get away from that so you need to be really really sure that what you're saying is true and you genuinely believe it so there's that extra level of research and knowledge I think that goes into the printed word yes and now you're back home with your magazine (laughs) but were there any instances or scenarios where you had the potential to veer off of this path or any distractions that came up along the way I am quite focused as a person. I'm sure you that resonates with you because I know you're very focused too. And I think when you are fortunate enough to find what it is that you love, 
Um, I was never really tempted to do anything else. I've often thought oh, it would be amazing to be an incredible fashion designer mm. or to go and do something else. And my job is very varied because I do TV, so that's very different from writing articles. Um, I'm podcasting too, like you, so I, I love that. So I think there's a huge variety in what I do to make it not to to be not distracted as I say I do have um, a jewellery line but I don't really spend so much time doing that because I've got to do too much else at the moment with with publishing but maybe I'll I'll do more of that in the future that's maybe more of my kind of retirement project Mm, perhaps interesting you're listening to the Lila Joe show I would love to talk about your relationship with your comfort zone now is there something that you've done that at the time felt incredibly risky but was crucial to you achieving a certain goal I think there are always stages of business growth where you have to step out of any potential comfort zone that you might be in. And very often those challenges are financial because you reach a stage in a business as it grows where you go from being a small startup that's going quite well and you know your friends like it and it's it's all really good and you can manage it maybe you're working from home. But then to take that next stage and actually invest what then becomes serious, sizable sums of money and risk, that's definitely out of my comfort zone. You know, I I do like, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I do like to be able to control things. And when you get bigger, obviously you lose control. And that is something that I find you know, quite difficult. It does take me out of my comfort zone to have to entrust what I believe is my own special personal brand with other people because you need bigger teams to help you grow. So I think managing change and growth is definitely something that's that's taken me out of that comfort zone. Yeah, I'm a control freak too. Are you? Okay, so we understand each other. Yeah. (laughs) And how do you keep living on the tip of the spear and avoid complacency and comfort? Wow, that's a good expression, living on the tip of the spear. It doesn't sound terribly comfortable to no. live on the tip of the spear. Um, do I live on the tip of a spear? Well, I think in my world, because I'm working in magazine world, it is very much about responding to what readers and consumers are wanting. So yes. we do, my, you know, my team and I do spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what's new, what's credible, looking at new well-being research, for example. So that, by definition, keeps us on the tip of that spear. But I think anybody who is entrepreneurial, you have it in you to want to drive yourself forward. That's what made you do it in the first place. That's what made you set up a brand and be a brand leader or a brand founder. So I think there is that thirst for knowledge and that quest that's just built into your DNA. I don't think you can necessarily just create entrepreneurs or business leaders. I think you have to have that bit of your genetic makeup that predisposes you to do that. Yes. And that perhaps makes you automatically live on that little tip that keeps pushing you forward. Yeah, so it's innate almost. I think so. And this has clearly been effective, and your drive <laughs> is, is evident. And I would be thrilled to achieve even half as much as you have in your career. And well, I'm sure you'll achieve much more the rate you're oh, going at such a young age. Oh, oh thank me. you. And my listeners and I want to achieve excellence in our individual passions. And if we could go back to your teenage years, what were you doing or thinking about that you feel contributed to your success? I think I always had a sense of drive. I always had a sense of thinking, well, I'll show you, you know, I can Mm. really do this. Um, And I guess that, again, was, was an innate an innate thing. Um, what contributed to my success that I was thinking as, as a teenager? 
I guess, you know, I, I left home and went to college quite young. I was 17. Oh. So, but then again, you know, you're doing very similar things and traveling the world at a young age. So I think it's it's just getting out there and, and being prepared to open yourself up to take risks and to meet interesting people. Mm. And I think for me, you know, when doors have opened, I've walked through them. I haven't really thought too long and hard about it. Maybe with hindsight, there are a few doors that I shouldn't have gone through. <laughs> but I think I'm one of these people who will take an opportunity, look at it and think, actually, yeah, let's let's go with this. Let's run this. Let's try it and see. So I think being bold is um, is a good lesson for young teens. Not being foolish or foolhardy or too impetuous, but actually, you know, thinking, yeah, do you know what? I think I can do this. Yeah, believing in yourself. Yeah, yes. absolutely right. Yeah. And I guess that's the same when setting up your own company. So we have some entre- young entrepreneurs listening, and mm. I'm wondering if you could go back and launch any of your products or, mm. or individual um, projects again. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give? Well, the number one rule is you have to be passionate. You have to be beyond passionate about the product that you're bringing to market all the time that you're doing. Because believe me, nobody else will be as passionate as you. And passion persuades. Mm. Passion persuades consumers to part with their hard-earned cash and invest in you to buy whatever it is that you're promoting. And you have to be so passionate in what you're doing that you have to truly believe it. It has to be part of your DNA. You know, if they sliced you in half, it would have to be written inside you, that your particular project. If you don't care that much about it, if you could not do it and wouldn't actually be that bothered, then please don't go there. Yeah. Because it will totally consume you. You know, a fast-growing brand will take up 20 hours of your day. It'll take up all your headspace. It'll take up all your weekends. It'll get you out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning to get on that plane, to get to that meeting to fix whatever problem has arisen and unless you are deeply passionate and really truly care about what you're doing then you're not going to be motivated to do that and then that will show in your brand it'll reflect on your team and the brand won't work yeah so my number one rule is you have to have passion for what you're doing yeah I agree I agree why did you decide to sell your beauty company Well, that was back in 2010. And it's very interesting, you know, when you are the name above the door, everybody assumes it's just you. And actually, um, for the Lizelle Beauty Company, it was, I had a a co-founder, we had a very strong management team, we had stakeholders in the business. So, you know, it wasn't really a question of me deciding to sell my brand. It was a group of people deciding the time was right for them collectively. And I think brands are a bit like children. You know, they grow up and they develop their own personalities. And, you know, my eldest daughter, Lily, is 27 and she's now married and living away from home and doing her own thing. And it's it's wonderful to see that. And I, I, I'm very proud of her and I love watching what she's doing. And in a way, a brand can be a bit like that. You know, you give birth to this amazing creation. Hopefully it does well and it, it grows and it spreads its wings and it goes global. But very often you need global partners who can help. And if you're a brand founder or an entrepreneur, that may not be your strength. You know, for me, my background was writing and research and it's taken me on an amazing journey. But I do feel um, that it's right for me now to come back full circle, as you said before, and just come back to my real passion and my heartland, which is back in the world of publishing. That's great. And I would now love to talk about your lifestyle because it's something that so many people admire and you have all your wonderful recipes and tips and tricks that improve the lifestyles of so many different people. So what is a routine or habit that you have that you feel is integral to your daily productivity and well-being? 
Um, I now run. I, I was yeah. never a runner and I don't run very fast and I don't run very far. But I do try and get out for 20 minutes first thing in the morning and just do a quick run. And I find if I do it first thing before the day crowds in, I've done it, my head is yeah. clear, it's my thinking time. You can't do screens while you're running. So it's a mm. really good kind of break away, step away from your phone or your tablet or whatever. So that's a real fundamental for me. And also when I wrote um, The Good Gut Guide last year and I was looking at gut health, I discovered the real benefits of drinking kefir, which is a high potency probiotic drink. It's like a supercharged yogurt. Mm. And so I make my own or you can buy it in health food shops or supermarkets now. So I have kefir in the morning and that's my absolute go to. Those two things, a quick run and a glass of kefir and I'm kind of set up for the day. And how do you spend your free time? Um, I love to cook. So for me, I live on a farm. I have an organic pasture-fed farm in the West Country in the UK. And I have five kids. I'm never happiest than when they're all at home. But most of them are grown up now, so I, that time is rarer. But I love, I do a lot of recipes for my magazine, so I test them, I recipe develop. And for me, that is my switch-off time. I think the whole therapeutic action of throwing ingredients together in a bowl, mixing, blending, chopping, tasting, it's very social. And then ultimately, you end up with an amazing product that you can then share and nourish and nurture other people with. So that just gives me a huge amount of pleasure. And this is the perfect segue into the cool down because <laughs> for the cool down, we're going to create a little scenario where you're hosting a dinner party. Okay. One of my favorite things. Great. And you can invite three to five guests. They mm -hmm. can be living dead strangers or friends. Who are you inviting? Well, I think, do you know, I would probably invite my family um, because I love them all to bits and I rarely see them. You know, I mentioned my brother earlier, he's the one person in the world who makes me laugh more than anybody, that sibling connection. Um, I work with my daughter, she's my digital editor, and I love hanging out with her and the young millennials that we have in my team. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be, it would have to be really family. That's probably really quite dull. Um, but I just, I love spending time with them. Great. And I'm going to crash this party. I'm just giving you a heads You're very up. welcome. And I'm going to bring my dog to play with your adorable dog, Absolutely. Basil. Absolutely. That would be great. We've got plenty of dog bowls. Great. So what are you cooking? Well, I like to talk and eat, and I'm not very formal, so I will often serve something that's like a tapas-style starter with lots of dips. Mm. I was making one at the weekend, actually, which was a mix of beetroot with walnuts and creme fraiche. Really super easy Delicious. to do. Exactly. And these are just lovely sharing things. And, you're, you know, there's that sense of coming togetherness that you get when you're sitting across a table and you're all dipping into the same thing. And, you know, it's very easy for people, you know, if they've got dietary requirements, everybody these days seems to have, it. oh, I can't eat this or that. So if you have a huge bowl of different things, everybody yeah. can have this bound to be something yeah, that somebody exactly. will enjoy. Um, and then because we are a, a grass fed farm, we have Hereford cattle. So we might serve, you know, some Hereford grass-fed steaks or a big roast or something really mm. simple. I mean, I like things like slow-cooked lamb, for example, that I can put into the agar. I have a big farm kitchen, so we have a big agar in the kitchen. Mm. It just cooks all day, so there's no fuss. There's, it's very easy to do. And then I can sprinkle that with fresh mint and pomegranate seeds. And it's, it's, it looks really pretty and it's very easy. Lots of seasonal veg, whatever's in the garden at the moment, will then just come in. And again, I'm not huge on puddings. You know, you asked me earlier about whether it was savoury or sweet. Yes. I think it probably has to be savoury. So, I mean, I might do some fruits or some really nice um, artisan chocolates or something for, for pudding. But we will always have a cheese board. 
Ooh. And that's my moment to linger at the table. So I'll always have a wide variety of cheeses, goat's cheese and sheep's cheese and cow's cheese and all sorts of artisan blue cheeses and the lovely uh, local cheddars that we get down in the West Country and lots of different biscuits and I'll serve them with frozen grapes and fresh figs or crystallised fruits. And that's the time I really, I think, enjoy most at a dinner party because everybody has relaxed. You know each other if there are strangers at the table perhaps and you just stay and you stay at the table and you pick a bit of cheese and you carry on eating you have mm. another glass of wine and it's just a lovely sharing moment again i'm suddenly very hungry <laughs> <laughs> and what is the entertainment or activity that you have planned i don't really have activities i mean when i've had big dinners i, I had a big birthday dinner at the farm last year and i had a table magician and that wow. was really fun that sounds like fun and you know the sleight of hands these guys are so clever you know he was taking watches off people and producing them from his pocket and folding up 20 pound notes oh and then gosh. bringing them out from his ear I mean it was really really clever so you know if I was having a big gathering a big more formal gathering then I would probably do some kind of table entertainment otherwise I would just put on a great playlist on, yeah, on Spotify or something and, and it's that's it so everyone listening, you now know what to cook for your dinner parties <laughs> and you know which entertainment you need. What is your favorite travel destination? Well, I have a home in Kenya and I spend a lot of time there. Uh, so I love Kenya as a country because it's very varied. You have the coast, which is beautiful. It's like the most beautiful Caribbean beaches, white sands, turquoise blue sea. <clears throat> you can go on safari so you can see amazing animals in the Maasai Mara. You know, lions and cheetahs and rhino and elephants and all sorts. And then you can go up to the north where the tribes people live and you can hang out in the mountains and the wilderness is remote and the wow. landscapes are so vast. You you see the 360 degree curve on the earth when you stand on mountains. So That's incredible. And the people are very warm and friendly and I, I love it. So Kenya is probably my, my best country destination that I know of at the moment. And what is your favourite restaurant in London? Well, if I tell you that, you'll all want to go there and I won't be able to book a table. So I'm not entirely sure I want to share. Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you some of my favourites. So um, there's a great little French restaurant in Belgravia called Poulapo, mm. uh, which basically means um, chicken in a pot. Poulapo. Oh, and yeah. it's very eccentric and it has very dim lighting. I don't like restaurants that have bright lights. So this is lovely in the evening. It's very romantic. It's very quaint. It's candlelit. Great atmosphere and lovely traditional French cooking. And it's a, just a great place to go and chill and relax. Wonderful. And finally, who should I follow on Instagram? So I'm Lizelle Me. So really simple. There are lots of Lizelle accounts out there because there are lots of different brands that I've helped to start and found over the years. But Lizelle Me on Instagram or Twitter will get the real me. There you go. So thank you so much, Liz. I know you're very, very busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Lovely to chat. Thank you. I'm Lila, and you've been listening to The Lila Joe Show. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't yet, head over to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next time for another episode. Thanks for listening. Oh,